Welcome to Talkless Water, the podcast that takes a deep dive in the world of water with those making waves. My name's Todd Butler, and I'm your host for Talkless Water. I'm also the principal of Collaborative Water Resolution, which you can find at waterdisputes.org, as well as the editor-in-chief of Texas Water and the Texas Water Journal. Uh, both are free publications. My guest today is Glenn Hager. Hager is the Texas Comptroller of Public Accounts, a statewide office in Texas, which is uh, the chief financial office for Texas. Before his election as Texas Comptroller, Hager served in the Texas House of Representatives and Texas Senate. Uh, Hager is a sixth-generation Texan who grew up farming land that has been in his family since the mid-1800s. Glenn, welcome and thank you for being part of Talkless Water. Good to be with you today. So I always start out by asking people kind of how they, they you know, got interested in water or, you know, about their background in water. And so um, I know a little bit about yours since you were the center and uh, the uh, district that had part of the Guadalupe Lago River Authority's territory when I worked for them. And I know that you're an irrigator. And so... Um, what else about water is important to you and how, what's your background? Yeah, I mean, I think from a background perspective, you know, go back to growing up on a family farm here in Texas. And obviously uh, anybody that, that is involved in agriculture knows the lifeline of, of what water plays to either crops or livestock, whatever that production is. And so the point being is if it's what we call a dry land, well, then that means you're up to God and nature of what provides. And there are years that it may come and it's bountiful crop and there's years that it's not. Also, it depends on a timing issue. You know, it could be the wrong time of the year. And then uh, in, in my family, we also, as you mentioned, irrigated. And so therefore part of that, that lifeblood was either rain in the fall that is stored or underground water. And and so therefore understanding from a kind of young age that, you know, there's, there's one, one of the things that we all have to have to sustain life, to sustain productivity, to sustain economic opportunities is access to usable clean water. And then move into when I served in the state legislature in the state Senate as, as uh, the relationship that, that we crossed over then with uh, you being at Guadalupe River Authority and the fact that all of a sudden I was thrown into a very major fight that had been going on for decades between those that were upstream, which ended up being where the water moves into the Edwards Aquifer, as we know here in Texas, which is a pristine, remarkable aquifer that we have up in kind of the hill country under San Antonio, which is San Antonio's lifeblood, but then comes out of the springs in New Braunfels and San Marcos and flows down all the way to the end user, which is the basin estuary here here in part of the state of Texas. And, and I also, with an 18-county at that time Senate district, which was west of Houston, east of Corpus, east of San Antonio, south of Austin. So the point was I had four very thirsty, growing metropolitan right. areas. I had a very large rural area that was very diverse and, and, and several major rivers that ran through that district, several groundwater districts, territories that were not in a groundwater area. And so there was not just a one, one fight. There were a whole bunch of fights. Right. And, and, and being thrown into those issues, which is something that I cared about, but all of a sudden I had to care about it a lot 
to help represent the constituents. And, and so therefore, I got a uh, crash course in water very quickly <laughs> from a legislative and a legal perspective. Yeah, everybody looked at your district as their you know, source of their future water supply. And so, you know, you're talking about those, that session in 2007 where the Evers Aquifer Recovery Implementation Program was created. Um, you know, that session and the session before that is when my hair fell out. Right. I'm so stressed. Yeah, I and, understand. And, uh, you know, I just thought this is, you know, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but it, it really turned out well. Yeah, it was really remarkable. Gosh. You know, I was I was fortunate enough that um, I had, in a way, uh, a blank piece of paper. In other words, coming in, not having the history or the baggage of the scars of those fights that had been going on for, for decades. Right. And so, therefore, I lived outside of it. I wasn't part of it. I wasn't caught up in that. And so, therefore, the point being is I could try to come at it with a fresh set of eyes as in how do we resolve this? How do we set a path forward where people can hopefully work in a collaborative manner where they have buy-in and, and people of very different backgrounds and very different interests? Right. And so, you know, really in, in hindsight, it worked remarkably, in my opinion, at the time, you're on a hope and a prayer that right. you set up a structure that can work. And and, and being mentioned that, I, I made this comment when I was out on a tour recently on, on water issues in the state of Texas. And uh, one of the individuals I worked with uh, on that, Robert Puente, who, mm-hmm. who was a state representative at the time, and as you know, heads up uh, the water uh, system there in San Antonio. And, you know, we were on opposite sides, right. but we ended up working together to find this, this solution. And at times we fought at times we worked together and, and, and I was made the comment to him. I said, I'll never forget the very first time I had a stakeholder group that was come, you were there, right. we were in the auditorium at the Capitol. Um, uh, one of the gentlemen who's on the environmental side, who y'all had <laughs> been fighting with yeah. at, at the river authority, Byron Hess was worked up and, you know, oh, what are we going to do? And I said, well, why don't you lead up this task force in this little Mm -hmm. subcommittee? And your former boss, Bill West, I'll never forget the look on his face. He (laughs) thought, oh, my God, you put who in charge of what? I mean, Hager just did what? And I I remember and I said, well, Bill, and then why don't you work with Myron? And da-da-da-da-da. And why don't we get another person or two? And so we created a structure where people had to work together. They had to have – there were enough jobs, not only if you were on the overall – overall board for lack of better ways, right. but all these little different subcommittees. And, you know, we utilized a process that worked in another state. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, that was a good thing is we, we were able to find models and it, it was one of those where it was a lot of hard work, as you know, you were part of it, but I will never forget that experience because I was taking and putting two people that could not agree to anything right. <laughs> other than we need water yeah. and find a way that they had to work together. So right. it, it was very rewarding in hindsight. So, you know, that, that model of, you know, putting the people who are at the center of the dispute into the room and making them come up with a solution is is really how you have to do it. Yeah. And you look at, for example, you know, Georgia and Florida, you know, um, trying to, you know, figure out their water issues. Well, you know, the governors took that rule on. Well, that's, I mean, that's an impossible thing for right. them. I mean, you know, they, uh, you know, at some point, I think they're going to have to say to their you know, stakeholders in each one of their states, look, you, you guys have to get in the room. That's right. And I, and I think part of the key is uh, I remember when we were negotiating the legislation, 
you know, I led the negotiation a lot of times. My number two, who still works for me, uh, she was in the room, but I felt like I had to do it because I could look you in the eye yeah. and say, okay, do you agree or not? Right. And there were a couple of times where people gave an answer, but it was so muddled you couldn't hear it. And I said, okay, wait, <laughs> I, did, I didn't hear you. Did I, hear, yeah. did I hear a yes? Okay, next. Did I hear a yes? Did I hear a yes? And the point was then no one from that room can go out and say, oh, we want to change the deal. Right. We made an agreement. Right. And you looked me in the eye. Now, that was just the basic structure. Then the hard work came. Yeah. But I think that that set the table for what was expected when the stakeholders then had to do their work that we're going to sit in a room and we're going to come to an agreement. And that agreement is going to be binding on all of us. Our word is our bond. And and I think that's what you had to do, because if we didn't do something like this, it was all going to be in the court system. Right. Well, we know how long that takes. Right. And it had been in the court system. Right. And that's not a solution. And, you know, I I have no no problem with lawyers being paid. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I have an education as one. Yeah. But the reality is that's not where that's not where real solutions occur. It's the stakeholders. Right. It's the stakeholders that solve the problems. Well, I remember, you know, there were pieces of that legislation that I was like, ah, you know, I can't believe this is in here. But on the other hand, you know, with the passage of time, it all turned out well. And that's because everybody had to give a little bit. Right. That's right. That's right. So, uh, boy, let's back up and tell us a little bit about the comptroller's office. office yeah, and yeah. then we'll get to the water tour. Yeah, real, real quick. So just uh, I, in the controller's office, we're a unique office. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a combination of a bunch of offices in, in many other states. Um, but but the short of it is I've got 3,000 employees when I'm fully uh, staffed, which in this economy we're, we're not because of labor shortages and supply chain issues and inflation. But the fact is, from a constitutional duty, I run the state treasury. So you have 126 billion in a state budget. And I didn't stutter when I said billion, 26 yeah. billion. So we issue all the payments. We do the accounting. We do all the tax collection for the state of Texas. And then uh, the big, more high profile is the day before each legislative session. I tell the legislature how much money we think will come in the state treasury for the next two year budget. And so that's what I spend more of my time on is monitoring Texas's 12 economic regions, which is the ninth largest economy in the entire world, which is hard to fathom. When I started this job, we were number 12. We've moved to 11 to 10. We're number nine. We, in the next so many years, will move to be the eighth largest economy in the world. Every morning when we wake up, there's another thousand people that call Texas home. They move here for economic opportunities. We're a growing state. So my office constantly is trying to monitor what's the direction of the economy, message that to the legislature. And then we do a whole host of things. I mean, we do endangered species research, which right. people go, I'm sorry, you do what? Um, that, that was given to us many years ago. Uh, just here recently, I was given the task because no state had any money. And now all states are trying to figure out because of COVID more than anything else, uh, you know, a capability to be over the Internet, whether it's listening to a podcast, whether that ends up being having a relationship with your doctor, with telemedicine. Mm-hmm. It could be education, higher public education. The point being is there's 7 million people in the state of Texas, which is about 23% of the state's population, that have no reliable high-speed internet at their home, even if they want it. And so, therefore, they created a broadband development office. And so, therefore, that is here at the controller's office. We are in charge of finding solutions to work with industry, with certain federal dollars that are coming to the state of Texas to how do we 
connect the state of Texas, which in my opinion, literally this century will be what the FM road system was to Texas in the last century. It is going to be an opportunity for rural areas and even in suburban urban areas, there's still all these areas that don't have good connectivity. Yeah. And so we, we need that more than ever. So my point just being, besides my three constitutional duties, we have all these other responsibilities that have been given to us in the past or continuing to be given to us. And so we run a lot of programs and a lot of processes to be able to get things done here in the state of Texas. So it's a, it's a diverse, you know, uh, number of things that you end up doing. Very diverse. And, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate. Uh, we, we try to be the state agency to go to if you want to work for state government. Uh, the controller's office is the place that you want to be. And so I'm <laughs> fortunate that we get to bring a lot of good, talented people in. They get to work on projects, work on issues. But part of it also is just the nuts and bolts of running state government and making sure that the taxpayers are tended to businesses get their permits and they're being able to do what they do best, which is create jobs. And it's, it's a fun opportunity to be in this role. Great. Great. And part of your, um, you know, role as comptroller, you know, is kind of figuring out what's going on in the state. And you, you've been doing that through something called the good for Texas tour. And, uh, that was something that had caught my attention, um, earlier this year, you had a tour that was about water. Good, good for Texas water tour. Yep. So why don't you, you tell me, you know, kind of briefly what that was about. What was the, the, yeah, I try to, I try to pick two important issues for the state of Texas. Uh, one in the spring, one in the fall to do a tour and talk about some some tear down into that issue a little bit more issue report, kind of put some parameters. And, and one of the things people go, well, wait, uh, we got a water development board. Uh, we, we, wait, is, is that in your purview, their purview? Well, actually we're not the water board, but things that hinder or impact the economic development and the health of the state of Texas are important to everybody. And, you know, I think that we all know when we wake up in the morning, we expect to wake up in this state. We're blessed. We have opportunities. Other places in the world don't have these opportunities where you wake up, you turn on the faucet and guess what? Water comes out. (laughs) You expect it every single day. The day that it doesn't happen, you think, oh my goodness, what is going on? So it's an expectation. We all expect it. And, And we are growing so fast in portions of the state of Texas faster than I think anyone could have ever anticipated and even faster than we anticipated just a few years ago with people wanting to move to the state. And I think the pandemic in part has accelerated that. I know it has because companies that are relocating their headquarters to Texas, maybe they weren't at that pain threshold because they had to move all their employees where now because of COVID and telework, they don't have to move all their employees. So now they can only move, they only have to move a percentage of their employees. And so that for that pain threshold, is it worth the move? Now that threshold has gone down and companies are moving to Texas that probably wouldn't have moved here for several years. So it's actually sped up some of our economic development in, in actuality is the irony that COVID has done. But my point being is one of those things that we have to make sure is we have a reliable source of water into the future. And part of that goes back to my experiences whether it was growing up, whether it was in the state Senate, and just seeing as the so-called CFO for the state, I think it's part of imperative my responsibility to highlight some of those issues. And while we have good structures in place and funding systems to help develop water, I think that we need 
to put that front and center? And how would I have known a year ago when I told my team, let's do water in the fall? Did I know that Texas was going to have, as in the whole state of Texas, was going to be in a pretty devastating drought right. this year in 2022? Right. And so, you know, I was going to ask you about the drought, but I'm going to ask you about the drought and also about your, you know, where you went your tour and, and what stood out to you. Because I imagine you did probably see some things related to the, the drought. Yeah. So, so really for the for the stop, we just did about a six tour stop this cycle. Uh, when I first started the first Good for Texas tour, I did that my first session and, and we decided to do about a 36, 38 city tour across the state. And let me just say, um, I decided I would never do that again. Because, yeah, we uh, it, it, it was too many. I teased the team. I said, OK, who whose bright idea was it to travel the whole state and go to all these cities? And they all looked at me thinking, well, it was you, but I don't want to say you. And so uh, I knew the answer already, but they all, and I said, no, no, I'm giving y'all a hard time. Point being is let's keep doing this, but let's stick, <laughs> stick with a more manageable yeah. number because I do have a normal job here. Mm-hmm. I've got a wife and three teenage kids and I'd like to stay married. I'd like my kids to know me. So, you know, we try to keep it in a manageable mm-hmm. number. And so the point is I travel the state a lot already, but what I saw one in and outside the tour was a lot of brown across the state. And it was very focused that people knew that we're in a drought situation. Um, But for for the tour, we hit a variety of issues that were important, whether that was how, in fact, we had the first reservoir that came online in Texas in decades uh, in the Metroplex. So we went to the Metroplex to talk about about that and how hard it is to get more reservoirs uh, onto the system and how that's important to uh, the Water Authority. Went over to Southeast Texas, talk about the, uh, the 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 systems of moving water in the canal systems, both not just for irrigation, but for industry as well, downstream manufacturing, petroleum industry, whether it was over in San Antonio about their desal or brackish desal project and how that is expensive, but more cost effective than obviously true desal yeah. because of yeah. the energy need and, and, and how you store, dispose of, of that salt content and the underground storage that they have, which is very remarkable. So we hit a bunch of different communities. Uh, one of those issues that we also wanted to talk about because I grew up in the Houston area. Uh, my family still lives in the Houston area just five years ago and a month ago. We all would have remembered the uh, devastation that Hurricane Harvey, Harvey when, it, yeah. when it hit, you know, uh, the um, Ranzas County, how much impact that was, what it was an impact to the Houston area, how much it was an impact to East Texas. I mean, there were three regions of the state of Texas that were impacted by that hurricane, but part of that is flooding and flood control. And so uh, we we talked about flood control in the Houston area and how imperative and important that is. And that's a new issue that Water Development Board has to handle now before. And so, you know, really just trying to remind people of all these different pieces, uh, not just the public, but really legislators and and how we need to be thinking ahead as we do our five-year water plans that do we have enough resources to meet the need of a growing state? Probably we do today, but do we in the future? Probably not. And infrastructure is a key piece that we need to continue to be front and center on in Texas and water is a piece of that. So that's a good uh, point to kind of transition into talking a little bit about these, um, 
you know, poll questions on water that uh, Texas 2036 put together. And they asked people, you know, if they were concerned about, um, you know, potential voters, I, I think is who they asked, you know, are you concerned about your water supplies during drought? And, and you know, I, I think this is kind of the result you expect during a drought about, it looks like about 60% said yes. They were either very concerned or extremely concerned. And the, the one that is uh, maybe, you know, something that's uh, more kind of an area directly that you might be involved with at some point is uh, voters said by about, you know, about 80 percent, a little over 80 percent that they supported, you know, greater state funding for uh, water supplies. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's that's something I'm really interested in, too. And I think you're, you know, kind of uh, alluding to that maybe we need some additional funds for for water supplies and also kind of looking at the next question, they had a similar response to the the need for more state water for water infrastructure, over 80% again. Um, so what do you think kind of the prospects are? I know that, you know, years ago when Texas created the state water infrastructure fund, um, you know, that's water that came out of the rainy day fund or whatever. But um, do you think that there is going to be, you know, interest in, you know, uh, the legislature and, uh, you know, I guess maybe the the body politic in general about coming up with some additional funds for future water supplies? Yeah, I mean, I think those are all great questions. Uh, I think, you know, first and foremost, when when um, you ask people, are they concerned about water, especially during, we all know, goes about us that have been involved with it, you're going to get a higher response in a drought right. than when there's not a drought. Or if if you ask people, uh, are they concerned about water either in in uh, the Rockport area at Hurricane Harvey, the Houston area, or Beaumont, uh, Port Arthur area, they would have said no because it just yeah. rained, you know, an inordinate amount right. of time. So it, one, it's a timing issue, uh, is my point. Yeah. But then even if you take it in a grand scale, I think people are generally going to say yes because they know they need it and they they have to have it. I think that. Um, I don't think you know. Obviously, the the average legislator may remember much less the public that what are the funding sources that exist today. And so then that gets more complex. And then when you you tear it up water compared to are you worried about crime or the economy or inflation some of these different issues it may still get on the chart but it's not going to be as high on the chart when you ask with a matrix of other questions and so you know one of the points that i try to do in the in the water tour is is while it'll get on the chart if you put a bunch of issues there it'll probably fall further down but just to bring that recognition that when you wake up, one of the first things you do is you're going to brush your teeth. People right. use the toilet. People wash their hands. I mean, what we, we we just had three things that we talked. We had to have water. Yeah. And we hadn't even cooked breakfast yet. Um, right. and, and, and so you try to bring those things front and center. And to answer your question about the legislature. I mean, I think this 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 legislative session is going to be a record amount of cash carryover balance from this current two year budget to the next. We'll ne- we'll never see anything like this ever again in Texas history. Uh, there there there's more revenues the legislature has to work with than ever before, which is a good opportunity for doing one time investments, infrastructure investments, something that I call pays dividends in the long term for the future. Um, so so I'm not really sure which ones get to the top. You know, the irony is. It is easier for a budget process when there is no or less money because the answer is just no. 
yeah. uh, than it is when there's a lot of money. Now, you would think it'd be the opposite, but decisions become quicker and easier because we just don't yeah. have it. And the answer is no, um, where, whereby if you have money. And so I think there's going to be a lot of ideas. There are going to be a lot of conflicting uh, uh, interest for, for these dollars. And so do I think the legislature you know, will be open to some concept I do. That's one reason I wanted the water tour to at least have that discussion. Right. Um, whether they're willing to do it, I think we'll have to probably wait until about mid March to see what direction they may or may not go in, and to see what all these other competing, you know, needs and interests that you can utilize. One thing, I mean, when you have an extra amount of money in your personal household, you're going to do a repair around your house that you don't have to have, but it's probably a good investment to do it. So you don't have to wait till later. Right. And I think we're waiting to see what are those prepare, repairs to the household that let's wants to make. So it's interesting you say mid-March and you were talking earlier about how, you know, when it's raining, people don't are interested in rate increases, you know, which I've always, you know, I remember saying, hey, you know, why don't you bring this rate up, this rate increase up now, right, in the, in the drought? But I've also kind of noticed that, you know, you get in a le- legislative session and you've got some poor water legislation because you've been in a drought leading up that session. And then all of a sudden it rains. Right. And then people are like, eh, well, you know, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm kind of wondering, you know, if this drought, you know, persists, you know, through, you know, the end of May, you know, maybe, maybe that'll be a leg up for some more uh, funding for water, but if not, it'll be interesting to see if, uh, if, uh, like you say, right. one of the other priorities. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, do you think uh, you know, you're hearing a lot about water for the upcoming session? I know people have like they've already filed hundreds of bills already, or maybe thousands. Uh, yeah, they're, they're 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 you know bill filing started this week, and they're going to continue obviously through uh, through a certain part into the legislative session, whether that's end of April or so. So, I mean, end of, end of February. So therefore there's going to be a lot more piece of legislation that are going to be filed. You know, I do think this will be a topic of discussion, but I think there's going to be a whole lot of topics and, and that's what the process is for is to bring all these issues up. There's a funnel, all the things go in the top of the funnel, which is really big by the end of a legislative session. There's not as many that get through the bottom of the funnel. There's only so much that goes through the bottom and there's a time period. And so you can say, Oh, well, we just dump it all in and it'll all get through at the bottom even if it's a smaller hole at the bottom. Well, no, there's a timeline to cut it off, as you know. And so, therefore, only so much gets through. So, we'll, you know, we'll see what they get into. They're the policymakers and start weighing all these different issues and uh, make the best decisions for the state of Texas. So, this is kind of the, <clears throat> this is the big question and everything, uh, everything leads up to this question. And it's, you know, you know, what do you think are the biggest water challenges facing Texas in the future? So I think there's a few different things. One, uh, there's certain aging infrastructure in in certain areas that, that have to be tended to. The fact is, as we talked earlier in, in, in this session, that we had the first new reservoir built in decades and how long that federal permitting process is, land acquisition, landowners, you know, that that's a whole separate process. Right. We're a private property state. We're very proud of our private property rights in the state of Texas. So the point being is there, there's a lot of hurdles to, to building reservoirs. Um, now we're looking at more underground water storage, like I mentioned in San Antonio and other areas that, that is real capabilities when you have excess water to store it underground for future use. Um, there, there, Obviously, we have a plurintha of natural gas, which we did not a decade ago, which is needed and is very important to do some type of brackish desal, which is energy intensive, uh, very energy intensive as a, 
as as we all know. So there there's some solutions, but then there's some some cost prohibitions. But Texas is not only growing in population, we're growing in industry. We need water. I think one of the important issues, and we know is part of the the plans to be able to solve our water need, is conservation. And 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 I think a lot more honest discussion needs to occur. That to me, it's ironic that during times of drought, that we need to cut back on our water use in our municipal areas, say, right. for example, in our cities. But then for cities, guess what? One of the biggest revenue streams is during that time period is selling you water. Right. Yes. And you're, yeah. use, and you're using more water than you would use before. So the irony is I need Todd to cut back, yeah. but I'm making more money off Todd that I can put in my fund yep. to do some road projects that Todd wants me to do. He wants more mm-hmm. police. He wants more fire. He wants road projects. And so we need to be Real honest about that. And I think some regions, I know some regions of the state do a much better job of making that conservation a priority versus the revenue stream yeah. than some other areas of the state. And, and, and I think we're going to have to change that philosophy that every once in a while, it's okay to have a brown yard for a few months. The grass is going to grow back. Now, it's I don't always, like to look at it. I like right, green grass. Right. But I'm just being honest that we are going to have to have the tough decisions in some regions of the state and not take that additional revenue because we are going to have to have that water for other use. And I think that's going to be a key piece of this. That's a huge, important piece. And I don't think really the tough decisions have been made in some communities across the state. So growing up in Dallas, you know, in the 70s, before everybody had a sprinkler system installed and all that, you know, you came August and your St. Augustine turned brown. And it was brown for, you know, a month or two. And like now, oh, you can't let it go brown, right? Uh, but you alluded or mentioned earlier uh, Robert Quinte and the San Antonio War System. So, you know, they were using 225 gallons per capita per day in the 80s. And, you know, he recently told me they were down to 111. Mm-hmm. And so you look at what San Antonio's done, you look at what El Paso's done. And, you know, it, I mean, it's a pretty good model for... Two, two, 280 right. to 111 is remarkable. Yeah. And, you know, the fact is, is, is San Antonio and, you know, Robert was my nemesis when we were fighting these water wars. Okay. And now, you know, I, I, I was teasing him how good a job he's doing. He said, can you, can I record that? And, uh, you put that in front of my board. Um, but I think they've done a really good job of going from a 280 to 110 and think about that on a daily basis. Right. And so they're serving more people with less than what they've had in, in the past. And I think that's the responsible thing we're going to have to do. You know, the reality is it's amazing to me every, every fall, every winter, um, you know, I grew up in ag. So, I mean, when, when it gets cooler outside, the temperature's cooler, the sun doesn't shine as much, the days are shorter, I don't need to water my yard. I mean, my, yeah. my, my water system's been cut off. It's been cut off for a month. And the community, you know, common areas, neighbors, their sprinklers are still going off. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it's that education that you can cut it off until next April. Right. You don't need it on. And that's that's an education thing. Yeah. So I think education is a key piece. It's also an ethical thing, too. I think there's a water ethic that, that you know, exists in, you know, some communities in Texas and, and um, you know, really – 
needs to be a statewide ethic. Um, although I know if you're in East Texas, you know, a lot of times the situation is a lot different than here right. in Central and West. That's right. But um, but still, you know, it's kind of, you know, your va- how people value water and, um, you know, how that's going to shape our future. So, um, you know, you mentioned you're looking for good people. So this is your chance. You know, tell us how people can find out more about Comptroller's office and maybe, I guess, find jobs or post. Yeah, them. absolutely. So the easiest way to find us is is over the Internet, and that's uh, controller.texas.gov. Um, you know, any, any time. And when, when I say controller, of course, you know, one of the questions I always get is a comptroller or a controller <laughs> um, because it's spelled C-O-M-P, yeah. troller. Uh, and even though uh, connect, connect, correct pronunciation is controller. So uh, comptroller.texas.gov. And, yeah, we're always looking for great people. We have a lot of information. My team, we uh, put out remarkable publications. Uh, we put out a publication every month called Fiscal Notes on two important issues to the state of Texas. Uh, obviously, water was one of those that we just recently published because of uh, the the uh, water tour. But we got uh, that's a really good publication if people want to kind of keep up to date with a couple of the issues that are important every month in the state of Texas. I agree. I got a quote in there recently, <laughs> or a few months ago. So I was like, yeah, it's like, that's a great publication. Hopefully you yeah. at least read it, right? I did. If you got I, quoted, you should have read it I at did. least. Okay. Okay. I did for sure. So, Glenn, it's been great chatting with you. I really appreciate you, you know, talking to me today about war. Yeah, it's always good to be with you. It's good to be on your podcast. And uh, I've enjoyed the working relationship that we've had for a long time. So thanks, Todd. Yeah. This has been a pleasure. And uh, this has been Talk Plus Water also. And I just want to say thank you again to Glenn Hager, the Texas Comptroller Public Counselor, for talking to me today. And I also want to thank you. Um, the folks who are listening to this podcast because you've taken an hour or so out of your time to listen to it. And I also want to give a big thank you to Anna Huff at the Meadow Center for Water and Environment at Texas State University for getting each episode of Talk Less Water Ready to Roll. My name's Todd Botler. Let's talk water again soon.